following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Good morning. My name is Sissy. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Father's Day to all the dads, especially to my dad who is watching all the way from New Jersey. Yes, he'll be excited you clap for him. (laughs) And happy Juneteenth. We have so much to celebrate today. And uh, I'm just so glad to be with you. So, as Charlene said, last week we kicked off a series. We're going to be spending 13 weeks in a series we're calling The Paths to Peace. And we're, together we're going to explore three of the wisdom books of the Bible. We'll spend six weeks in the Psalms, three weeks in Proverbs, and four weeks in Ecclesiastes. And, and together we will explore what God has to say to us about how we can live well. And so last week we began with the Psalms. And the Psalms are songs or poems that served as Israel's prayer book. They expressed the gamut of human emotions from despair to delight to ultimately a deep dependence on God. And nearly half of the Psalms were written by David, the shepherd boy who became the shepherd king of Israel. And so in this series, we're looking at some of these Psalms of David, some of which he wrote in really pivotal and key moments of his life, moments of great joy and celebration, but also moments of deep loneliness and grief and loss. And we'll see how David met and experienced God. The Psalms show us the path to peace because here we see a God who loves to respond to the question and prayers of his people. And here we will find wisdom to live well. So last week we kicked it off and we looked at Psalm 23, this most beloved of all Psalms, a Psalm of confidence, a Psalm about trusting God through the journey of life. And this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 19. If you have your Bibles, grab them. That's where we're going to be. And Psalm 19 is a Psalm of wisdom. Now, let me start with this. I want you to think about someone that you really have a a deep and intimate relationship with. Maybe it's your spouse or your best friend. Someone that you're really close to. Someone that you know really well. You have that person in your mind? Okay. How did you come to know them so well? How did you develop an intimate relationship with them? You didn't just suddenly wake up one day and you had this intimate relationship. You didn't uh, just find out all these facts about them. You got to know them so well. You developed this close relationship with them because they revealed themselves to you. They shared who they were with you, their hopes and dreams, their fears and failures, their anxieties and worries, the things that they're passionate about and the things that bring them joy. They shared themselves with you. That's how you got to know them. That's how they got to know you. Deep down inside each one of us, there's a desire for God, a desire to know God. The greatest longing of our hearts, the deepest ache of our souls is for God and God alone. No one else, nothing else will ever be able to satisfy that. But what is so astounding to me about God, what David tries to show us in this psalm, is that God wants to have a deep and intimate relationship with you. And so he reveals himself to you. 
He shares himself with you. The God of the universe, this God that is beyond our imagination, this incomprehensible, indescribable God knows you. And he wants you to know him. And knowing God leads to loving and trusting God. And this is where life is found. This morning, I want to walk through Psalm 19 together, and I want to share with you three ways that God reveals himself to us. And what's really beautiful about this poem of David is that each revelation gets progressively greater. And so first David begins and he says, God reveals himself through the wordless word, creation. And then secondly, through the written word, scripture. And then finally, through the embodied word, Jesus Christ. The wordless word, the written word, and the embodied word. Let's dive in. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. God reveals himself through what he's made, through creation. In his letter to the Romans, Paul writes this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God's eternal power and his divine nature are clearly seen in what he's created. Creation bears witness to God through its beauty, complexity, and design. Many of you know that I was born and raised in the New York, New Jersey area, and you probably have heard me share about my love for New York City. I still think it's the greatest city in the world. But I love all big cities, whether it's New York or London or New Delhi. Something comes alive inside of me when I'm in a big city. The, the lights, the crowded streets, the, the traffic congestion, the, the towering skyscrapers, that's what I call beautiful. I love city life. So it might not surprise you that when I was growing up, I didn't really enjoy nature all that much. I didn't take hikes in the mountains or go for long walks outside. That just wasn't me. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I just never slow down enough to really enjoy nature. And as I've gotten older, that's changed. And I really love being outdoors and in nature. But many years ago, I took this trip to Scottsdale, Arizona, and I got to see the Grand Canyon. Uh, the Grand Canyon's about four or five hours away from Scottsdale. And the only reason I went to see the Grand Canyon is because people said, you have to go. I just wanted to say, I've been to the Grand Canyon. Because honestly, I wasn't excited about it. To me, the Grand Canyon was just a really big hole in the ground. And we have those in New Jersey. We call them potholes. The Grand Canyon was just a giant pothole. <laughs> or so I thought. We took this incredible drive up to the Grand Canyon. And as we got closer and closer, the landscape began to change. And I had never seen anything like that before. And then we finally got there. And then I got out of the van that we were in. I walked to the very edge of the Grand Canyon. And I felt absolute awe at all that was before me. 
I, I was so overwhelmed by the vastness of what I saw that I was stunned into awe and silence. And if you know me, that's shocking because I'm rarely at a loss for words. But the only words that went through my mind were these. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the very ends of the world. As I stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon, I had only one question. What kind of God is this that he would create such beauty? Because as I looked out and I I saw these different layers of red and yellow and rust and orange that almost seemed like they were painted on to the broken cliffs and the rock formations, I was overcome with awe for God. The splendor and the beauty of the Grand Canyon pointed me to the splendor and beauty of God. When you're out in nature, maybe sitting on on the beach staring at the vastness of the ocean or standing at the edge of a lofty mountain looking out or taking pictures in a field of endless blue bonnets, something stirs inside of you and it fills you with joy and wonder. It takes your breath away. Nature can move you the way good art does. It can cause your heart to soar. It can overwhelm you with its beauty. Nature is a work of art. And good art always points to the artist. God is the artist and nature is his handiwork. And you and I are products of his artistic design. Even if your life is a mess, even if you don't believe in God, you can't help but react that way when you're in nature because it speaks to you. It tells you that life is not an accident, that you are not an accident. That you were made on purpose for a purpose. In another one of his letters, Paul says that we are God's masterpiece, his work of art. Friends, life is not an accident. You are not an accident. Then David says this. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Uh, In this culture, the the sun was thought to be the chief part of God's creation, apart from humanity. Because there wasn't air conditioning or refrigeration, and they lived in the desert. And so... The sun was radiant like a groom on his wedding day, powerful like a champion, and pervasive. You could not escape it. And even in our modern world, when we think about the sun, it should amaze us. The sun is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on its surface. It's raging intensity. It's like billions of nuclear bombs going off every second. Scientists say that just one second of the sun's energy output would power the U.S. for 9 million years. Feels like ERCOT should look into that because we just want the power grid to stay on for a few hot days. (laughs) I don't know. But here's what's incredible. 
The sun is one of about 200 billion stars in our galaxy, our slice of the universe called the Milky Way, which is among hundreds of billions of galaxies in the known universe that God has made. Do you see the magnificence of creation? Creation tells us of the greatness and grandeur of God. Creation is communicating, uh, proclaiming, revealing truth about God. But it's not enough. Creation isn't enough to give you what you need most. And that's an intimate relationship with God. Look back at verses 2 and 3. David says, day after day they pour forth speech. But then he says, they have no speech. They use no word. So what does he mean? Nature communicates to us through nonverbal means. Uh, And other than driving in New Jersey, where it's really clear what people mean by their hand signals, quite often nonverbal communication is confusing. It's tricky. Like nature is beautiful, but what do you do with mudslides and hurricanes and tornadoes that wreak havoc and destruction? Nature reveals truth about God, but it's incomplete. It tells us a lot about God, but it's not everything we need to know so that we can know him intimately. It's general revelation about God. If we're to know God personally, we need another source of revelation. We need the written word, scripture. Verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Here's the first thing that we need to notice. In verses 1 to 6, the name used to refer to God is Elohim. This is the generic expression of the name of God. It's much less personal than the name of God used in the rest of the psalm. And, and so in verse 7, David shifts and he begins, he begins to call God Yahweh. And whenever you see the word Lord in your Bible, in all caps, that's referring to the name Yahweh. This is the personal covenantal name of God. This is a name that God gave when he called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. Moses said, what should I tell the people when they ask me what your name is? And God says, tell them... I am who I am. Tell them my name is Yahweh. Yahweh is a God who's bound to the people that he's in relationship with. And so if you want to know Yahweh, if you want to know God personally, you have to come to the scriptures. God wants to be in an intimate relationship with you, so he reveals himself to you through the scriptures. And David uses these words, law, statutes, precepts, commands, and decrees as synonyms for scripture. And then he tells us three things. He, he tells us what scripture is, and then he tells us what scripture does for us, and then he says, and here's how you need to respond to scripture. But this isn't just a description of scripture, it's a description of God, because God's character is seen through God's words. So first, what scripture is. David says it's perfect, meaning it's flawless. It's, it's trustworthy and reliable. It's right. The idea here is that it's, it's like a straight edge, like a ruler, something that you uh, use to measure other things. It's the standard by which you measure your life. It's radiant. It, it displays great joy and love. It's pure, meaning it's genuine. It's firm. 
It doesn't change and it endures. There isn't some new information that's going to come out that alters its truth. It's righteous and true. This is how David describes God's word and God's word is bound to God's character. This is a description of God himself. And then David tells us what scripture does for us. So he says, it refreshes the soul. That word refresh is the same word that we looked at last week in Psalm 23. God, through his word, refreshes and restores our souls. Scripture has the power to restore you to your true self. It has the power to show you who you really are, to reveal to you and to restore you to your true identity. To awaken you so that you might become the person that God has always intended you to be. And the more you follow God's commands, the more you become your true self. And then he says it makes wise the simple. That even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, what God says in his word is still the best for us. Every year I go to get my annual physical. And so my doctor She looks at my test results and she tells me all sorts of things that I need to do. Eat less sugar, eat more fiber, exercise more. And sometimes, most of the time, I don't listen to her. I take what she says as suggestions because I don't want to eat less sugar. I love ice cream. But when I go against what she says, when I do my own thing, ultimately it goes badly for me. Because eventually I'm going to get sick. When I go against the expert, the words of the one who has all the information, then I go against what's best for myself. But to listen to the expert, to follow her advice, leads to good health. Friends, God is the expert. To go against God is to go against what is best for you. But to listen to God, to follow and obey him, is to flourish and thrive in life. And then he says it gives joy to the heart. It delights us because it leads to freedom. It's not just a bunch of rules that that restrict us. In scripture, God is showing us the best way to live. And in living this way, there is freedom. And that brings joy. Finally, he says it gives light to the eyes. The eyes are what we use to identify our desires. And so David's saying that God's word is a light to my desires. It, It shows me and it guides me into what is truly good and valuable for me. And then David says this, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. In this culture, gold was the most precious commodity. Now maybe today for us it would be oil because you almost have to take out a second mortgage just to fill up your gas tank. But in this culture, there was nothing more valuable than gold. There was nothing sweeter than honey. And David says, look what I found in God's word. It reveals to me who God is. It does something to me. And so it's more valuable than the most valuable thing that exists. It's more delicious than the most delectable food I can ever imagine. And then David shows us how we ought to respond to scripture. Earlier, David said that the sun was radiant and powerful and pervasive, that you couldn't escape it. David is saying that what the sun does for creation, God does through his word in our hearts. That God's word shines into every corner and crevice of our hearts. 
the places that we try to hide from everyone else, the things that we think no one else knows about. That if you allow God's word to get in there, then it will expose those things. When you allow God's word, to, to, to light of God's word to shine on your heart, then you do what David does here. Verse 11, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. When we live according to the truth of scripture, it leads to vitality and growth. When we obey God's word, it brings transformation and healing. Verse 12, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. David recognizes that he has blind spots. The sins that are really going to get us, the sins that that are going to dominate us and hurt us and others are the ones that we can't see and the ones that we rationalize. The times where we think, I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be bitter and resentful because you don't know what he did to me. You don't know what happened. And they're hidden, not because they're insignificant, but because they're so characteristic, so much a part of who we are. So I have a tendency to react quickly. And sometimes that's good. I'm I'm good at making quick decisions. But a lot of times, that's bad. Because I react out of anger or impatience. And I can just say, well, that's just who I am. You need to accept me and love me. But in reality, I'm allowing sin to grow in the crevices and the corners of my heart. And so David says, forgive me, keep me from willful sins. The things that you know you shouldn't do and you do anyway. He says, I don't have the self-control that I need to not do the things I know I'm not supposed to do. David is repenting. David allows God's word to expose sin in his heart. He recognizes that he has blind spots and that he often falls into destructive habits and damaging patterns. And so he repents. There are two ways that we can respond to God's word if we have a desire to know him. We can read it and we can let it drive us to try to earn and achieve God's love and acceptance. If I just work hard enough, if I just keep all the rules, if I just do all the right things, then finally God will love me. Finally God will accept me. But we can't keep all the rules, can we? It's never going to be enough. We're never going to be able to do it. And if we live in that way, it will crush us. But the second way... The, day, the way David shows us is to respond, in, in responding to God's word, is to repent and recognize the truth of the gospel. That it's not about my performance, it's about Jesus' performance. That you are loved and accepted by God because of Jesus Christ. The greatest revelation of God is his son, Jesus, the embodied word. Verse 14. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David presents us with the paradox here. First he says, I can't discern my own errors. I intentionally disobey you, God. But then look what he says here. He says, but God, I have confidence that when you look deep into my heart, you will be pleased by my words and my thoughts. 
how can both of those things be true? The only way that David's thoughts and words could be pleasing to God is because of his redeemer, Jesus Christ. David is seeing the gospel before his time. Tim Keller writes this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Only the gospel tells you how weak you are and yet how loved you are. The hope of the gospel is for people who know that they can't do it, but they don't have to. That they can't do it on their own. It's for people who have fallen short and failed miserably. It's for those of us who have been bruised and battered and busted up by life. It's for people who realize that all they need is need. Because Jesus came for sinners. When we come to the scriptures on our own, it will crush us. But when we come to the scriptures because of Jesus Christ, it will delight us. And like David, we must be willing to look at ourselves, to see ourselves for who we really are, and yet recognize that that in no way lessens or diminishes God's love and grace towards us because of Jesus Christ. We are so sinful and so flawed, and yet we are so loved and accepted by God because of Jesus. Jesus took the punishment for our disobedience and when we see the extent of his love for us, when we understand that it's not about our performance but about Jesus' performance, then we don't obey out of fear or an attempt to earn God's love. We obey out of gratitude and love for what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And friends, that leads to delight. I grew up in the church But for most of my life, the Bible was just a bunch of rules that I couldn't live up to. And it wasn't until my senior year in college, when out of desperation I cried out to God, that I began to see the Bible not through the lens of what I had to do, but through the lens of what Jesus had done for me. And in that moment, everything changed for me. As I began to read the pages of scripture, I saw Jesus on every page and I found him to be beautiful. And God's word became a delight to my heart. David cries out for a redeemer, not for a moral example, but for a savior. Do you want to know God? Then look at Jesus, the embodied word of God. Sally Lloyd-Jones writes this. God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere. Because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror. To show us what he is like. To help us know him. To make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail. The way red poppies grow wild. The way a dolphin swims. And God put it into words too and wrote it in a book called the Bible. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. And at the center of the story is God's son, Jesus. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, 
you can see a beautiful picture. God reveals himself through the wordless word creation. Creation tells us a lot about God, but it's, it's not enough to know him intimately. That if we want to know God personally, we have to come to his written word, scripture. And God's word is bound to God's character. It's perfect and trustworthy. It's right and radiant, pure and firm and righteous. And it does something in us. It refreshes our souls. It makes us wise. It gives, it gives joy to our hearts, light to our eyes, and it leads us to repentance. Friends, this is what scripture does for us, does in us. And it's why we're spending all this year going deeper in our discipleship to Jesus by going deeper in the scriptures. But the greatest revelation of God is the embodied word, Jesus Christ, our redeemer. And we must read the Bible and see Jesus on every page because unless we see that Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, God's word will crush us. But when we see that we are fully loved and fully accepted by God because of Jesus, God's word will delight us. The God of the universe wants to have a relationship with you. He moves towards you. Will you move towards him? He knows you. Do you want to know him? Maybe you're here this morning and there's never been a moment in your life where you have put your trust in Jesus. The invitation to you is to come and know Jesus as your redeemer and savior so that you might experience the rich, soul-satisfying, abundant life that he alone can offer. But maybe you're here this morning and you never realized that, that God wants you to know him personally. Maybe reading the Bible hasn't been a delight for you. Maybe it's just felt like a bunch of rules that you have to follow. The invitation to you is to read the Bible and see Jesus on every page. Because every story whispers his name. That that when we see the extent of Jesus' love, then we don't obey out of fear or, or an attempt to earn God's love. We obey out of love and gratitude For what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And this leads to delight. Friends, what would it look like to read the Bible like that? And you don't have to do it on your own. Maybe you want to join us as we read through the New Testament together. Every weekday we read a chapter. And then you can jump on Facebook or or podcast and hear a reflection from one of our staff members. Or maybe you want to study scripture in community. Come join a formation group or be part of women's, men's, young adults or one of our Bible communities. Let's do this together. God wants to have a deep and intimate relationship with you. The God of the universe, this God that is beyond our imagination, this indescribable, incomprehensible God knows you. And he wants you to know him. And knowing God leads to loving and trusting God. And this is where life is found. Will you accept his invitation? If we allow God's word to get into our hearts, it will expose us. It'll expose those things that we try to hide, the things that we don't want anyone to know about. And so I want to give us a few moments before we 
partake of communion together, to just reflect upon our hearts, to see if there's anything that we need to bring into the light of God's love. Father, thank you that you know us, that you want us to know you. Thank you that you revealed yourself to us through creation and scripture, and most of all, through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you move towards us, that you reveal yourself to us. Help us to accept your invitation to know you. If there's anyone here this morning that's never had that moment where they have placed their trust in Jesus, might, might this be that moment for them today? And for all of us, may we have a deep desire in our hearts to be in an intimate relationship with you. May we delight in obeying you, not out of fear, but out of gratitude and love for what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.